ever-present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later, the Homestar Army proudly presents Trek West 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else they want to talk about. Your hosts for Trek West 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening and welcome to Podcast 163. I am Peter. And I am Joey. Uh, ooh, good week uh, all around. Everything, a lot of good stuff happening. Busy week. Busy week. Yeah. Uh, a good week for me because I bought a car. It's a nice car. Yeah, it's it made in this century, <laughs> which is a step up for me, a really big step up for me. It was still made in the last decade, though, uh, but still, it's in the 2000s, so I'm I'm pleased by that. It's I, certainly I, the newest car I've ever seen you drive. It's uh, I was uh, I bought a Toyota Camry 2005. It's blue. Um, it's got a sunroof. Yeah, sunroof, power everything, six CD changers with cassette. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'll be rocking out the uh, my Scottish music, which is the only stuff I have on cassette. <laughs> <laughs> um, and all in all, it drives really well. It starts... It actually, you know, moves when I tell it to. So that's doesn't I'm, have a carburetor. <laughs> no, no carburetor. Uh, really excited about that. Maybe I'll um, maybe post a picture up on on the Facebook wall. Did you name it yet? No, no, I haven't named it. I don't have person. It doesn't have personality yet. Okay, it's like a child. You don't name it till it's like its second birthday because you know it doesn't have. I I thought someone did that somewhere. The street family? <laughs> I, have, I don't know what that reference is to, but Pe- sure. Peekaboo Street, the uh, Olympic skier. Her her family did that. They wouldn't. They named the child Baby Girl Street or Baby Boy Street, and then let the kid pick their own name as they got older. And she picked Peekaboo. Nice. Uh, no, none of that silliness is going on. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Well, I'll figure out a name. At some okay. point. Um, it's not going to be as cool as the Grey Ghost. No, or the Silver Bullet. But, uh, yeah, that's for my truck, so why would I name it the same thing? Good point. Um, let's see here. Joe, anything from you? Anything you got to bring up? The uh, the front continues on my campaign for uh, Utah County Republican Party treasurer. Now, when you say front, it makes it synonymous to... The Russian front. <laughs> it does? In my mind, that's exactly where I go, which was a failed venture for the Germans, as I believe. So are you trying to say that, you know, this is a well, losing battle? So far, as as of the last time I checked, I was running unopposed. So if I lose, I'm going to be pretty disappointed. <laughs> then why are you doing anything at all? Um, I'm also running for a state central committee, which I'm... Is quite a heavily contested battle. So. Oh, I see. Uh, and I just, I, I just have the one flyer that promotes me for both offices. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, best of luck to that. Uh, keep Thanks. us, keep us in mind for, with your adventures in Republican. Um, 
Let's see here. I have one email I wanted to start off with. Okay. This was from uh, listener M. He sent in one email, and then he sent in a second. And it says, it's 420 Eve, so be sure to leave a joint and munchies out for Rasta Claus. <laughs> I have no idea what that is in reference to. Bob Marley's birthday? I don't know. That's I, hilarious, though. <laughs> I, I, is Rasta Claus a real thing? I'm afraid to Google that. Uh, but thanks, listener M. I uh, who, who knew that uh, he was, you know, followed the the Rasta culture? Yep, uh, not me. I didn't know either. Uh, let's see here. We want to go to Facebook Find of the Week. And this week, we are going to award this to Alex. Um, okay. He posted up the Battlestar Galactica theme as done by Friends. <laughs> and I got a huge kick out of it, so he is going to win. Congratulations, Alex. I don't know if you've ever won before, but we have some prizes. Yeah, we'll send them to him. Mel, <laughs> um, well, we'll send you one. Okay. We'll send you one. Let's not get greedy here. Uh, I, I wasn't so, being greedy. I was being generous. Well, he was being greedy. Oh, I see. I see. Uh, congratulations, Alex. Um, I, again, got a, a good good chuckle out of that. Um, Brainy's Nook of Darkness, then. Yes or no? We're going to do your list next. Yeah, the top five. Okay. I do have some people who sent in lists. Oh, awesome. Great. So I don't know if you yeah. want us Look, to do ours first. We'll, we'll go last. You will go last. I will go last. All right. So let's go ahead and pull up listener M. Did he have a list? No. No list. And JD does have a list. Awesome. We got an email good, from, yeah, JD. from JD. Yeah, thanks, man. All right. Top five historical figures from the 1800s. Uh, he didn't put an order on this, so I'm just going to read them down the okay. list. Abraham Lincoln. No explanation needed. Seriously. Geronimo. The ultimate revolutionary to maintain his way of life as a free man. A textbook badass. <laughs> Alessandro Volta. His experiments mm. to create early batteries are why we have podcasts to listen to without wires. <laughs> it would be interesting how we would do that otherwise. Felix Hoffman. Pain relief for all people. His genius gave us aspirin. Okay. Levi Strauss and Jacob Davis. This duo was responsible for the great clothing invention ever. The greatest clothing invention ever, jeans. <laughs> uh, great list, yeah. JD. So thank you very much. Uh, we are going to go to Brainy. He starts off by saying, Sup, dudes. John, I checked out the VH1 Queen special. Awesome. Thank you. What do you think of those guys, of those 1991 Queen remix? It sounds like the songs were mercilessly and hilariously dragged through the CNC Music Factory. <laughs> Additionally, are you a fan of Modest Mouse? Joey, 
At first, I was dubious about this top five, but as my list became super awesome, I think it was a great category idea. Now, you sit there all quiet, but that was not your first thought. It was not your first idea, was it? Well. (laughs) What was your first idea? Top historical figures. (laughs) Which, through all time... (laughs) The reason I landed at 1800 is because when I made my short list, almost all of them came from the 1800s. (laughs) Well, I was rather mean to Joey at work when he told me that. And I said, no, we're not going to See, for How me, can you actually, make me choose from all of history? For me, it's actually easier the more people, you, the more time you have to put things in, because then you're only left with the standouts. Whereas when we narrowed it down to the 1800s, I got into that middle group where it's really murky. And there's a lot of people where I was like, okay, who gets three, four, and five? Now, if I, if I can open it beyond the 1800s, then three, four, and five becomes a lot easier because, you know, I, I only pick like one guy from every hundred years or something. But 1800s, there's some awesome, awesome things going on. So I think it was a good, a good decision. When, when you pushed me to narrow it down, I said, okay, the 1800s. <laughs> I got a huge laugh out of that whole exchange at work. <laughs> it was funny. Uh, so back to Brainy's email, his list. Honorable mention, Rumi and Freud. I'm not okay. sure who Rumi is. I, I'm, I'm, I know Freud. Number five, Nikolai Tesla. Instead of his time, uh, ahead of his time, maybe ahead of our time. Number four, oh brother, Emily Dickinson. Girl power, one of the humanity's greatest poets, <laughs> and we weren't even ever meant to read any of her works. Number three, Darwin. How many men have changed the world more powerfully? Number two, James Augusta Aloysius Joyce. Hmm. Even if during those Time Life 1999 Millennium All-Time lists ranked Portrait as the third greatest and Ulysses as the number one greatest novel ever. Go ahead and try to argue that he isn't the most revolutionarily uh, irreverent, profoundly inventive, earth-shatteringly influential, prosaic author of all time, and I will laugh at you. He's not the most... Give me the list again. (laughs) (laughs) His number one, Houdini. Ooh. Yeah, I didn't. You know, Houdini didn't even make my list. No, not even close to being on my list. Uh, Yeah, good list. Those are the lists. Um, All right, Pete, let's hear your list. All right, I got an honorable mention going out to Eli Whitney. The man managed to make gin out of cotton. (laughs) I don't know how he did it, but he did. The first man to ever create cotton gin. And I think the last one, too. (laughs) (laughs) It's certainly not on the shelves today. (laughs) Okay. He wasn't seriously on my list, but when I I was going through the list of historical people from the 1800s and saw his name and, you know, the little blurb, you know, invented the the cotton gin, I was like, oh, there's a joke written right there. (laughs) So I had to add him. He wasn't that wasn't a serious entry ever. 
Number five, Karl Marx. Wow. Yeah. He's pretty amazing. I mean, the guy managed, he formulated a lot of stuff that pushed, you know, a movement (laughs) that I, I think is unfairly, you know, blamed on him because a lot of what he said got corrupted and changed. Okay. If they had followed closer to what he talked about, I think it, I think it would have been better. I'm not saying that he did a good thing, but very influential. Plus, I saw him recently, not him, I saw a uh, an episode of The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, and there was this author who wrote this really big book about him and talked about how he wasn't just some guy who you know, decided to start a political movement. He was a, he was a journalist. Uh, matter of fact, he was, I think they said that he wrote for some, uh, newspaper in New York or in America, essentially. So he lived here for some time. Uh, but you know, eventually went back there. Um, and fascinating guy. Plus his portrait looks awesome. (laughs) How can you not look at Karl Marx and say, wow, Way to go. Way to, you know, set a trend right there. <laughs> Number four, I have Levi Strauss because jeans are awesome. Okay. They fit in almost any situation. Uh, let's see here. Number three is going to go to Clara Burton, who was uh. the founder of the Red Cross. Okay. Um, I just, I'm impressed by that organization worldwide. Okay. And just amazing. Now, these next two are like a toss-up, and I know some people listening may say, wait, what, really? That's who you chose? <laughs> well, come on, you already put Karl Marx down. <laughs> no, it's for the order okay. that I'm putting All them right. in. Number two is going to go to Joseph Smith. Okay. Not you. Uh, I wasn't around in the 1800s, so it seems, <laughs> yes. seems like a wise decision on your part. Uh and number one is going to go to Abraham Lincoln. I, I'm not going to bother. I, like, we all know who Lincoln is. Most people are should be aware of Joseph Smith, founder of, of our religion. Yeah. Um, so the reason I put Joseph Smith second is because I felt like his influence is very, very specific to... One cultural group? Yeah. Whereas Lincoln affected an entire nation... And so that's why I'm putting as my favorite, even though it's not a who was most, you know, uh, historically relevant to the nation. Right. I I still would give my favorite to Abraham Lincoln because of, you know, what he did. Plus, they made, you know, a pretty awesome movie out of him. <laughs> so, you know, he's got that going for him. Okay. Uh, yeah. So there is my list. Okay. I also have an honorable mention. Uh, Anton Chekhov. This is a, a writer and mostly famous for his playwrights, but I think his short stories are actually better, personally. He was Russian. And I I feel like he deserves at least an honorable mention on the list because he was so influential to so many other people that were, you know, that were around and influential in, in this time. Uh, some of the people influenced by Chekhov would be George Bernard Shaw, Ernest Hemingway, James Joyce, and Leo, Tolst- Leo Tolstoy. I'll, you know, credit Chekhov with I- impacting their writing somehow. Also, he's the guy who gives us Chekhov's gun. 
You know, if there's a if there's a gun on the stage in Act One, Scene One, someone had better fire the gun by Act Three. What if there's a lamp on the stage in Act One, Scene One? And then it needs to be turned on at some point. Oh, I, I, or someone was, has to shoot it. Yeah, or <laughs> or maybe throw it, or you know something. <laughs> uh, my number five is Claude Monet. The I think we can safely call him the father of impressionism. Uh, and I I talked a lot last podcast about my love of the impressionist movement and specifically of Monet's work. Yeah, so I won't, we're we're all fond of that. <laughs> I won't drag that on. <laughs> uh, number four is Louisa May Alcott. This is actually one of my favorite authors. I could read Alcott's work any day of the week and just lose myself in the world that she shared. The, you know that things were simpler things were more more beautiful and more idyllic uh, it's just uh, it's fan- fantastic escapism reading for me uh, i realize for a lot of people it must sound probably weird to hear a computer programmer longing for the days of the nebraska prairie <laughs> but uh you know i i think there's something very i don't think i would have ever like tried to say it that way but that was that was great uh, there's there's just something very beautiful about the world that she created in, in her novels. And, and perhaps I should say the world she expressed. Um, my number three is Nikolai Tesla. Uh, don't, I don't think we need to say too much about the guy other than Tesla's awesome. Edison's a jerk. Well, I think Tesla was most influential in helping to uh, create the rock band Tesla. <laughs> Yes. Uh, from the late nineties, I believe. Yeah, yeah, and they had that. They had a great song about uh, the sign says, "Don't cross the grass" or something like that. Okay, anyway, um, no, uh, Tesla. There, there's a great comic by the the web cartoonist, The Oatmeal, um, comparing Tesla and Edison. It's pretty it, vulgar, but quite hilarious. And it gets pretty <laughs> fanboyish, in my opinion. <laughs> But, but it's still it's, a fun read. It's written by a comic, so just know that going yeah, into yeah. it. Uh, my number two guy is Abraham Lincoln. Fantastic man. Did some amazing things for the country. Number one, Karl Marx. Please, Karl Marx. No, my number one is Thomas Jefferson. Okay, so you bring up an interesting point. I'll, you've expounded to me numerous times, so this is why I'm jumping in ahead of you. Okay. I wanted to choose people that were born in the 1800s, not necessarily survived into. Okay, that's and fair. And I'm just throwing that out there so you maybe people understand why maybe I didn't choose some of the founding fathers who sure. who did survive into the 1800s. Uh, so I didn't I, hate them. I, I specifically put Jefferson on this list because... This is when Jefferson really came into his own politically. This is, I mean, this is his his first presidency was eighteen hundred, so that was that was really the the height of Jefferson's power was the beginning of the eighteen hundreds, and the things that he did in that eight year span shaped so much of what happened next that I felt like it was important to include him there. I noticed you uh, did not include the founder of our religion. I did not. I felt that uh, Louisa May Alcott, though. (laughs) I felt she's great. Joseph Smith's impact in the (laughs) 1800s was a little too narrow for the list that I was going for. (laughs) Okay. Um, Even the guy like you're named for him. No, I'm not. Um, 
feel like you might be. <laughs> uh, let's see. Are you done with your list? Yes. All right. Let's jump into Brainy's Nook of Darkness. He says, this week's Nook of Darkness, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle versus Houdini. <laughs> okay. Winner, Houdini. <laughs> but it was a short nook. All right. <laughs> I culture found this article by Watterson R. Rothacker about how um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle punked Houdini by showing footage of the adaptation from his novel Lost World at some magic convention in New York City. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle said the dinosaurs, dinosaurs were real and then wrote a letter the following day saying, Ha ha, I tricked you. Sometime later, Doyle went to Houdini's house offering condolences by saying he could psychically channel Houdini's dead mother. Doyle failed, and Houdini called him out for his cheap parlor tricks and lame medium interest, and the friendship ended. I then kept researching Doyle's interest in psychic occult crap and realized <laughs> that he was surprisingly totally into that stuff. The following is from Andrew Lysett's Conan Doyle, the man who created Sherlock Holmes. Quote, Conan Doyle became interested in the Society for Psychic Research, SPR, set up in 1882 to specifically investigate paranormal phenomena, such as extrasensory perception. But he himself at odds with the SPR's objective. He found himself at odds. He felt he didn't need laboratory experiments to prove what he knew to be true. After holding seances with his wife, Jean, to get in touch with members of their family killed in the First World War, Conan Doyle came out as a spiritualist. He claimed to converse with the spirits of the dead, virtually abandoning Sherlock Holmes. Conan Doyle churned out books on spiritualism and addressed vast audiences around the world on the subject. He proudly adopted the sobriquet. Sobriquet? That word. The St. Paul of the New Dispensation. Ruffling some feathers along the way. In North America, he clashed with Harry Houdini, an illusionist who argued that all spiritualist tricks could be replicated by competent magicians. He was a crusader who enjoyed fighting for a minority cause. Shortly before his death in July 18, 1930, he headed a spiritualist delegation to the home, uh, to the home secretary J.R. Klein's protesting against police harassment of mediums under, under antiquated witchcraft and vagrancy laws. Close quote. It is strange to discover that Doyle completely abandoned Sherlock for psychic channeling. Curious to hear the overlord's reaction. Next week, I will start to cover Leviathan Wakes, so get ready. Well, what do you think? I think spiritualism and mysticism like that is, I, I think Brainy said it best, crap. <laughs> um, the I, I think, uh, more to the point of what he was saying, the fact that Conan Doyle 
abandons this thing for which he's like most known for granted maybe at the time not necessarily you know the the thing that made him the most money or whatever although i can't imagine anything else to to go after something i i understand why he might do it if he truly fully believed in what he was doing that totally makes sense but it does seem like we would have gotten more out of the life of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle had he stuck to more Sherlock stuff. Sure. And, you know, we might have more material for future movies and television shows because of it. <laughs> I don't think that's stopped us. <laughs> um, so, uh, Brainy, thank you very much for uh, sending that in. Uh, Joey, you have a Culture Corner? Yes. Uh, this week's Culture Corner is the first movie I've seen with my wife in the movie theaters this year was the host is a Stephanie Meyer novel. I think I covered. Oh my gosh. Book. Really? Really? Uh, okay. Go I think, on. I think I covered the book in an earlier culture corner. Um, so I just want, I just want to preface this by saying this is, this has nothing to do with twilight. It's nothing to do with vampires. It's aliens. Aliens are okay. Vampires. Not so much. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I, I I have some suspicions, but uh, anyway. So the the premise here is it's kind of invasion of the body snatchers, told from the perspective of one of the body snatchers. Okay. Um, the the thing that they were able to do in the movie that didn't work quite as well in the book, in my opinion. So you know, I, I'm generally a guy that says, hey, the book's always better. But one of the things that, in this case, that the movie was able to do better than the book was able to do was to have the two different characters. So you you hear, in a lot of instances in the book, you hear both the thoughts of the body snatcher, Wanda, and the consciousness of the person whose body she's inhabiting, named Mel. And they have this like internal dialogue and conversations and things like that. The snatchy, if you will. Yes. <laughs> I'm just keeping the tenses uh, put together for <laughs> Thank people. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and so you actually got to have two different actresses doing the voices for the dialogue in the movie. And it worked out pretty well. I, I think it actually made it easier than sometimes when you're reading the book to try and keep the two characters separate. And, and I actually think Stephanie Meyer at several points in the in the novel lost track of who was talking. She knew the dialogue she wanted to have happen. She sometimes slipped in, or maybe it was the publisher's fault, where you know the thing that's in a particular font or typeface that's supposedly the snatchy, but it's using words that only the snatcher would have used. So uh, I think that they cleaned up a little bit of that here in the movie. And it was a fun movie. I'm not going to say it, it had a whole lot of deeper meaning to it. I, I, I just don't think it did. It was entertaining science fiction, a popcorn movie, I think. And it was aliens that had done this, right? Not some, like, undead. No, it was, ab- it was absolutely aliens. It was, okay. uh, and, and the, the, so the interesting thing about this that's different from maybe the invasion of the body snatchers that we're more familiar with is these aliens don't actually think of what they're doing as harmful. They're not here to invade necessarily. They look at what we're doing to each other and ourselves and our environment, and they say, uh, we, we, let us help you fix that. Let us help clean it up. We'll settle humanity humanity down a little bit. 
save the earth. It's a great resource. You know, let's let let's come in and we're we're more calm and we're more steady and and they live for thousands of years, so they don't have quite the the intense passions that you know the short lived humans do. It's a common theme in science fiction and fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, and but one of the things that develops over the course of the story is that the the intense passionate feelings of the humans actually is what causes us to fight back because in a lot of worlds where these these beings have landed before they've kind of been hailed as a, a good thing they it becomes a collaborative society and they're like oh thank you for coming and saving us from ourselves and from our our destruction of ourselves and things like that but humans no we're individualistic we want to fight back even though you know maybe it would be better for the earth if we let the aliens take over we're humanity and we're not going to let that happen by golly and what what ends up happening over the course of the story is that the the characters the two characters sharing the same physical body become friends and they actually become come to rely on one another almost as sisters and they they are able to use this constantly running internal dialogue to develop this personal bond and and therefore the the alien starts to care more and more about the human race and and actually starts to consider you know what maybe what we're doing here is a bad thing maybe we should go to a planet where we're welcome instead of trying to fight humanity here in this world it would be awesome if they if that that girl who was inhabited by two beings herself and the the alien were to get married because then they could be sister wives <laughs> And it wouldn't be polygamy. <laughs> okay. Just throwing that out there. They do have an interesting love quadrangle at one point in the movie where the two women in the one body are in love with different men. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, great. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I'll give it a thumb up. But it's, uh, it's, again, this isn't anything great. Don't expect you know spectacular cinema. It's a fun popcorn movie. Take your wife or girlfriend. Go enjoy a good time. Moving on to episodes, we are going to go ahead and cover episode 13 through 14 of Battlestar Galactica Season 2. We'll start off with episode 13. Joey, would you read the summary? Cylon sympathizers led by Baltar's new six threaten the fleet's safety, and Rosalind's cancer is cured, but at what cost? Yeah. Uh, So, good episode. Yeah, it was all right. I uh, I enjoyed uh, watching it. A few raised eyebrows, of course, but uh, nonetheless enjoyable. I enjoyed probably the most the fact of a reminder. This has only been 189 days. Yeah. It feels like so much longer. Yeah. And this is that half a year, you know? That is not that much. It's been a, a really compressed set, series of events, right? <laughs> I feel so terrible for these guys. I mean, this week has been pretty bad for us as a nation. The the Boston Marathon bombings and then the Texas, um, uh, Waco, Texas explosion. Huge. But... For the most part, things are probably going to get pretty quiet for us over the next few months. Not much is going to happen. These guys are having this kind of stuff happen daily 
all the time. <laughs> um, and I just I like the fact that we're given a, a frame of reference to say 189 days. Yeah. Not that long ago that you know we completely had society get destroyed in, in a lot us. of cases probably not even enough time to actually fully process what's going on no not no under the circumstances at least the, the fact that so many of them are so well adjusted in that amount of time kind of like wow hats off to those people yeah that they aren't more crazy than what they already are um so anyhow moving on Rosalind has some flashbacks. She's dying in the hospital bed, and she's having flashbacks of the day she found out. And part of that, she has a memory of seeing Baltar. Six yeah. and Gaius making out. And so that's going to change things. Well, so she does remember it, because it's not clear at the end of this episode whether she actually remembered any of that. I think she did. Okay. Okay. Um, so there is an accident. Yep. Flying around in space, some you know a gun goes off as it's you know, being fired, and <laughs> comes to find out that it uh, it's due to probably sabotage. Yeah. You know these rounds that are you know just kind of falling apart. So, um, so here's my question: Can I safely hate the saboteurs? <laughs> Am I allowed to dehumanize them? <laughs> no, they're still humans. I they're don't just know. terrible humans. <laughs> um, okay, the Cylon wannabes. <laughs> the uh, the well, we'll find that we have real Cylon lovers now, because that's yeah. who these people are. Yeah, even though they try and say, "Oh, you know, we're you know." Not Cylon lovers, but uh, we espouse. We want a peaceful solution. Yeah. A load of crap. <laughs> so I made a note. Even teachers are low paid in the future. <laughs> Why would anyone ever go into teaching? <laughs> because it just seems like a terrible position to be in. You'd think they would have fixed this by now. Yeah, apparently not. It <laughs> remains a problem for, well... Are we in the future? I'm still convinced that this is concurrent to our timeline. Okay, okay. But in in the de- the depths of space, it's <laughs> still a problem. Clearly, a uh, uh, a source of humanity that is you know much more advanced than our own. Yeah, they still can't manage to pay teachers that well. Uh, it was really interesting. Uh, Adama and Baltar have this conversation where. You know, we see that Rosalind is dying. I mean, the cancer is caught up to her. She's bedridden. She's not even coherent most of the time. Uh, and Adama and Baltar have this conversation where Adama points out to Baltar, you're about to become the president. Yeah. Start acting like you can handle it. <laughs> pull yourself together, man. <laughs> yes, well, you did say that, didn't you? <laughs> great. This so dismissive, but still trying to have respect for the office in there. Like, that's hard to do, right? I mean, it's like, I don't much care for the person, but I respect the office. So, will you please get your act together? Um, I had a a point here uh, down the line. This kind of goes along with it. Um, Why isn't everyone looking at Gaius oddly 
all the time. I think they are. <laughs> well, because as he was walking down the hallway, there were people that were walking yeah. past, made no sort of reaction to him. Later on, once, you know, things started getting a little wilder, you know, when he's holding his own tie out, well, everyone's sort of like, well, what? Here, here's <laughs> what are the you doing? There's a point out there which he doesn't have a hold of the tie, but it's sticking out. And so I want to know, are people walking by and seeing that tie just sticking out in the air? <laughs> I don't think so. Or is Baltar hallucinating that part and then later grabs his own tie to fill, you know, fill in the gap in the hallucination? I think he's hallucinating that. Because you remember the experience where he's working in the lab and Starbuck comes in and he's... he's got his pants down? Yes. And really what's happening is he's pleasuring himself. Right. That, you know, so that wasn't, it, okay. I, I think that's still part of his illusion that all of that's happening. Okay. Um, but still, does Hilarious. not seem, yes. me, yeah, yeah, mentally stable, uh, he is not. So, we have the big moral question here. Do we terminate the Cylon fetus? Uh, and and Rosalind's, you know, making the claim of no, this, get rid of this thing. It it's is too dangerous. Yes, this is bad because she's been given, you know, led to. Doc Cottle says, yep. "Yeah, I'm seeing some abnormalities here that just the the I this is weird." And uh, guys is like, "No, no, don't do. I I'm still researching this baby. <laughs> Why are you? Don't get rid of it." So we've got this new creation. Potentially, you know, deadly to humanity. We don't know. But it's part Cylon, and Cylons hate humans. So, kind of seems like the the strategic situ- uh, decision to be made here is, yeah, let's kill it. That whole argument assumes the answer to the question, nurture versus nature, is nature. Right. Yeah. Okay. Good point. Because there's no reason we couldn't let Sharon have the baby and we raise it to hate Cylons. Sure. Unless there is some form of Cylon programming that right. is going to get transferred into it. Right. Which we have, we don't seem to have a clear understanding of how the Cylon, um, fleshy bodies. Where works. Yeah. Where all of that stuff actually goes through yeah. you know so kind of maybe gotta kill this thing i don't know i think that i think you i think you isolate it definitely get it off battlestar Galactica. interesting so have you seen you've seen the movie alien yes and you've seen the movie prometheus no Great movie, by the way. Oh, really? Saw that recently. I heard nothing but crap about it before from anyone else. I, I don't know why. Well, <laughs> maybe if you go to people who are like mainstreamers, but real people who enjoy science fiction, I think will watch this and say, wow, that was good science fiction. Okay. I, th- I think most of the people that I got an opinion from were expecting a prequel to Alien. Yeah. And were sorely disappointed that that wasn't what they got. Yeah, wasn't what it was delivered. It was still a precursor, I think, to the story of Alien. It's in the same universe, but yeah. the storylines are not necessarily connected, right? Um, it is amazing, in my opinion. Okay. I think they did a great job of creating, even within that universe, a brand new... Uh, Mythology? Yes. Even if it doesn't end the, you know, the it doesn't end up being exactly alien 
Um, still fantastic. My friend John Madsen enjoyed it. Okay. I enjoyed it. I, two thumbs up. Here's what I tell people who complain to me. They're like, well, yeah, but it didn't have anything to do with Alien. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> so you were super pleased with Predator versus Alien? <laughs> Because those were those were two franchises that absolutely needed to be connected. <laughs> um, the uh, the cool thing is is there's a similar type of uh, of story that goes on, like in the movie Alien, where like there's this corporation that's trying to get this thing to happen, like it is, um, you know, they're trying to create this these creatures. And and to study them and to learn about them and whatnot. Same basic idea, but those creatures are total death machines. They just look <laughs> evil and vicious and terrible. And so I think as humans, we would look at this Cylon thing and think, ah, well, uh, it's soft it's, and nice and, and small. It looks like another human, so it can't be bad. Whereas if it looked like an alien, flush the thing out, send it out the nearest airlock, fire it off into the sun, kill the thing. It's bad. It's evil. But because it looks humanoid, we get all sorts of uncomfortable discussing killing a baby because that's what this is. Killing a baby. Uh, For me, it's, it's hard right now to give a straight answer. Because I am on this reverse pendulum swing from completely dehumanizing the Cylons <laughs> to, oh, wow, uh, actually, maybe they have a case here. Maybe there's a legitimate argument to be made here that the Cylons should win. Right. And, and so I, I'm, I, I still feel like maybe I'm overcorrecting a little pro-Cylon. So I have I don't feel like I have my if I can borrow a phrase my moral center as far in regards to this universe. I don't feel like you even still have a good solid understanding of them either. I don't think any of us do right. from the show's perspective. The the people who are on Battlestar Galactica, if I'm one of them, I think I vote to flush it and send it out into space. Are you saying even after knowing what its blood can do? Yes. Interesting. Interesting. Because because of what it represents. The fact that we're we're still even holding on to Sharon is a little bit dubious, but it seems like we seem to be able to control the the Sharon bot a little bit. So uh, we can contain this. Worst case scenario, she bashes her head into the wall (laughs) until she gets out. (laughs) Whereas we have this new creature, which... I don't even know what this thing is going to be, even though it looks like a nice, pretty, nice, cuddly baby. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it does look like a cockroach. (laughs) (laughs) They've taken sonograms of the thing. Oh, right, right, right. It's big enough they would be able to see it forming. A a giant cockroach, uh, admittedly. (laughs) Too funny. (laughs) Um, Okay. We find out that uh, Gina... Can I call her that, Gina? We can, we're okay yeah, to call her that. Absolutely. Uh, she is leading the Cylon sympathizer movement. I, I'm curious whether most of, the, or any really, of the Cylon sympathizers know they're being led by a Cylon. 
uh, from the discussions that we have in this and the next episode? The answer is no. They don't know. They don't realize. Because Gaius pays the, the visit to see her. Is like, do they know this? And like, no. Even even my followers have limits to what they're willing to go along with. Okay. I It seemed like maybe the guy that he sends the nuke back with. I kind of thought I picked up on a little <laughs> knowing inner You mean there. The, the communist guy that they yes, send? the communist. Oh, my gosh. Why did they dress him up like that? That's exactly <laughs> what we are meant to think about this guy. Oh, look, a communist. I almost wrote in my summary, there are communist sympathizers on Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> <laughs> he just looks like the typical communist. Drab yeah. clothing, glasses, you know, <laughs> shortish haircut. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I rolled, though, that's one of the areas I rolled my eyes you at. You know, maybe hard. it was uh, they weren't trusting the audience enough. They thought they had to give us more visual cues. <laughs> I love the fact that... Um, Adama says, I want to meet with him and talk to him to bring him aboard and say, you're arrested. Send him to the brig. Brilliant strategy. I mean, it's not going to solve his problems, but he's got at least one of them. Yep. A, a known sympathizer right there. Fine. You look, you claim to be the leader. You're going to prison. See you later. So we, we get a really, a couple of really interesting pieces of president. Rosalind's backstory here. The first one being she was having an affair with President Adar. Yes. I, I hate to call it an affair because I don't know if either one of them were married. Okay. That's fair. Yeah, we don't know from within the context of the story. Yeah. Consenting adults. They had a relationship, a relationship that was more than just political. Uh, the, to me, the the term affair, I feel like it still might apply because... It just seems like it needs a negative connotation here. They're not telling everybody about it, that's for sure. Yeah, and you've got the president sleeping with one of his cabinet members. That just There's no way that goes well. I just assume they have rights to do that as the president. No? <laughs> I, I think it's just like you and I's job where we're not allowed to sleep with our coworkers. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I noticed, I noted the same thing because of... A comment that the president makes, President Adar, and that she parrots later on, yeah. which is, being president means you don't have to explain yourself. Okay. Which, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. You answer to the people. To everyone now. Yeah. Instead of, yeah. It's, you absolutely explain everything. Maybe you keep some things secret, but this isn't a matter of secrecy. <laughs> this is... You know, you just governing by fiat. Yeah. Uh, that That's how dictators are started, I believe. And then the other interesting piece of information we get is that Adar was firing Rosalind. She was out. Yeah, and he then, was not happy with her yeah, because he, of the, the decisions that she had she made. When she got back from Battlestar Galactica, she was supposed to tender her resignation. Well, she was going to put up a fight. He was, he She had said, no, I'm not going to submit. I'm not going to resign. And I'm going to Galactica to take care of this thing. When I come back, bring it on. Yeah, he was going to fire her. Yeah, I it probably would have come down to that, that. But I think that shows the gutsiness of Laura <laughs> Rosalind to say, I believe in this so strongly that I'm going to potentially end the relationship that I have with you. 
which I, I impresses me more about. I thought her. it was more interesting on the aspect of the the person who ends up as president just by chain of of command, or what what do they call that? The line of succession. Line of succession. Basically, was kind of out the door on the line of succession when all this came to be, and so she doesn't have any more of a legitimate claim to the presidency in some ways of arguing it than maybe some other people who might be hanging around. Well, if he had actually done the firing, then I might say you have an <laughs> argument, but okay, he didn't. So I thought I thought it made just that whole aspect of. The question of Rosalind's legitimacy, far more interesting. But at this point, she's been fully elected president now. So that's a, a moot point. No. Yeah, they had the elections. Don't you remember the whole Zarek thing? That was just to, to appoint a vice president. They didn't actually vote for her. She was, she was still president by... She's serving out the rest of Adar's term. I thought that it was I the election that had already it's, happened. Like because she was choosing a running mate and she chose No 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 Baltar. No, no, she was filling the the vacant position. There was no vice president. She was appointing a vice president and had to get him approved by the Council of Twelve. I don't think think so we'll okay, have to well, look this up because i don't you'll remember. have to look this up because i'm not allowed to go on any websites right. where i might look you're right. this up you're right uh i just looked this up turns out i'm right <laughs> <laughs> we took a pause in the recording you guys won't have noticed anything but i totally just went and looked it up i'm right <laughs> i really don't think she's been elected in yet I'm hazy on the subject, so we'll have to table it and okay. and get some information. Um, okay, let's move on. Humanolon blood is a cure for cancer. Yes. Uh, and apparently... Uh, are, are in... Gaius has an epiphany. I just wanted to say that because, okay. you know, the episode. Yeah. Uh, it was very interesting when he went to diagram blood cells. Uh-huh. He used the octagon. <laughs> oh, gosh, he did, didn't he? I didn't even notice that. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Like, this is the shape of our blood cells. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> I don't even understand how that helped anyone. Like, If I draw an octagon, you'll all just get it because octagons are so important to us culturally. <laughs> What I understood, because I didn't pick up on the octagon thing, is he drew a shape that represented our blood. He drew another shape that looks very, very similar, but is actually a little bit different from our blood. That's where, that's okay. what I got from it. Didn't pick up on the octagon thing. <laughs> Even more awesome that that is the, the design choice that they made there. Um, I just wanted to call out Gina has in intimacy issues. I don't know what in the world Gaius was thinking that he is just going to be able to pick up and force himself on this it. relationship that he had with another Cylon well, with I, this Cylon. I can see if she and think it's going to be okay if she hadn't experienced the things that she did, you know, the, the trauma, the specific trauma that was forced upon her. I can see where he might think, 
oh, well, I saved your life, and therefore you're going to be grateful to me. Mm-hmm. But That's a Gaius thought. But because of the specific trauma that she suffered, I cannot believe it ever entered into his mind. You know what? I'm just going to go ahead and try and force myself on her. <laughs> oh, terrible. Um, okay, so the Cylon baby, magic blood. <laughs> Gaius Baltar is going to draw the blood from the fetus? Yeah. Here's the part where I roll my eyes the biggest. Okay. Gaius Baltar, brilliant programmer. When does he have experience working on actual humans uh, in a in a medical sort of way? Like I get the fact he's brilliant and he's going to help create the Cylon detector because he has, you know, the wherewithal. But why is he the one sticking the needle into why isn't Doc Coddle doing this? So the uh, two answers to that question. The first one is I've always gotten the impression from the series that Baltar is a polymath, meaning he's expert in multiple fields of study, including biological. I I, I just have always the, the with the fact that he's the guy running the tests on the blood and so he's like, like so he's like the uh, uh, the Tams, just yes. brilliant, brilliant. Right. Yes. Uh, and the, and I can totally see that Doc Cottle would refuse to have anything to do with this operation based on his uh, reaction to the the differences he saw in the blood and his general opinion of Baltar I can I, see that Doc Cottle would say I'm not doing this procedure I, I okay but I still just don't understand why Gaius is the one so that, <laughs> uh, that's why I roll my eyes um so let's see here cancer's gone within a couple of days um Gaius hates Rosalind not a fan. He reads the letter that she had written to it's him. It's actually not a bad note. I, 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 Pete, just so you know, that kind of criticism I can handle. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the other stuff. <laughs> but if you're a man like Gaius Baltar, who thinks very highly of himself, the to ego. have this person sort of point out a bunch of your flaws, mm. of course, it's not going to sit well with him or the guy with, you know, the extra hot chick in his head. Right. Um, so Gaius gives away the nuclear oh weapon. Oh my gosh. And he didn't give away the bomb. He just gave away the, the nuclear components, the, the radioactive elements that is going to make the thing. So, you know, deadly. Dangerous. Yeah. Uh, but he's still, I mean, whoever it is, they still have to have some particular, charge to set the thing off and get it to the critical mass right that it and needs. they don't have access to that because otherwise they could be oh i don't know sabotaging ammunition <laughs> like he just handed the destruction of the human race right to gina this woman who clearly has not <laughs> not stable from the psychic scars that she experienced and and you know, I mean, to her credit, she seems to be managing quite well here. But she was put through some real bad stuff. Yeah. And he's going to arm her with a nuke. Just, yeah. It, it, even, uh, you know, now that I think about it, even she kind of looked communist-ish. Yeah, yes. She's wearing a military uniform. It's got the shoulder ep- epaulets and everything. Yeah. Um, 
she's wearing the glasses as well. Yeah. Uh, this may affect my rating now. <laughs> I didn't realize how much. I'm out of I'm out of stuff to say. Did you have any other comments you nope. wanted to make? Okay, let's jump into um, some email here. Nope, those are text messages. Definitely not the same. Okay, let's go to Brenny Smurf. Meaningless epiphanies. I think this is written by Larry Dottilio under a pseudonym. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I didn't think it was that bad. (laughs) Which is why it's the worst episode of the series. Wow. Rosalind is a school teacher who has no political experience, so naturally, when faced with issues beyond her grasp, she refuses advice from everybody. She does manage to maneuver religious exploitation into her tactics, though. Many BSG vets feel, like me, that during the rewatch, we see the fleet survive in spite of Rosalind. Hmm. Rosalind said, quote, We need to start having... Uh, we need to start having babies, close quote. Now, murdering? <laughs> and... We have lost this war. The old man says we have to be worthy of survival. So let's haphazardly give the Cylons a new reason to hate humanity. Forget almost forget about the gold mine of scientific research the Humanalon offers. Consider that this baby represents the most powerful negotiation leverage the fleet has. Or better yet, how about the fact that the Cylon that they that the Cylon won't slag a vessel with the Humanalon on board? Bumper stick potential bumper sticker potential? <laughs> Humanalon on board. <laughs> I think that would make a great thing. Unfortunately it would be only us that gets the joke since that's Guess you what? Know, a Trek We make our thing. own bumper stickers, Pete. <laughs> yeah. And then I love Roslyn quoting Adar saying A president doesn't have to explain himself. But I actually don't understand the situation, and I am embarrassed for my sheepish ignorance to be exposed. Rosalind's unmerited, self-righteous note to Gaius almost makes me want to root for him instead. Wow. (laughs) That's heavy. It's funny how Ron Moore uh, comments on how he finds Gaius boring without head six around. Let's just hope that Rosalind's epiphany will make her less bullheaded and irrational. Sci-Fi 1, TV 0, Music 6. Jeez. Yeah, he's clearly not a <laughs> fan of this. How do you let a Sci-Fi 1, you've got magic humanalon blood healing cancer? <laughs> you know, Maybe it, that's it, what... It's Brainy's rating. That, that's the one? That's the Maybe one that it did get? one. <laughs> Uh, all right, listener M. Hey, dudes. Pete should be commended for not having a mobile phone. I've noticed that people don't pay attention as they walk around. They stare at their phones all the time. I've, Hold on, because you read that last part I was reading my text messages. <laughs> I've even noticed that I can ogle hot chicks more because they aren't paying attention to what is going on around them and only looking at their phones. So, this is a tip for men and women. Guys, go ahead and enjoy the view. She's probably not paying attention. (laughs) 
And girls, be aware that us lecherous guys are watching you. Uh, a tip for you both. The key to floating on your back is to relax. <laughs> it is one of my favorite things to do floating in a pool, like the scene of Apollo in the last episode. I, I, I don't think I'm ever going to relax. I, I guess I can't, that. apparently. I, I thought I was relaxed. <laughs> See, with you, I feel like there's a a little bit more of a fat layer on you. So I feel like you have that in your favor. It doesn't work. I'm catching up to you right now, but even before then, as the skinny dude, no, never could could float. The the most I can do is I can keep like my my neck and head out of the water, but the rest of me is usually underneath the water. If that's the case, if it's easy, you know, just relax and and you can float, then why don't they teach that to you instead of treading water? Well, they did teach me. No, no, no. I mean oh, like as a survival oh, I tip. I see. Because just relax. No big deal. <laughs> it's all going to be okay. Just lay there. You'll eventually float to shore. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So how cunning or smart is Roslyn? It turns out that she is quite able to manipulate and control others to her advantage when she needs to. She can be quite devious when she needs to. I'm curious how many people actually know about the Agathon's baby. It seems that Rosalind is trying to keep it covered. Is Sharon the ordinary in the ordinary brig or in solitary confinement? Sharon did have a pretty normal reaction for a mother protecting her child. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, not the head smashing okay. stuff, but <laughs> I'm like, I, I won't let you kill my baby. I'll do it myself. <laughs> I, just, I didn't get that response. Rosalind is probably only advocating aborting the baby because she is dying and wants to maintain the cover-up. She is probably suspicious of Baltar now, but doesn't have actual proof that he is a Cylon lover. It must really bug her that the Cylon baby saved her life. Also, Doc Cottle is awesome. Gina seems to have mostly recovered from her incarceration on the Pegasus. It's amazing what some sleep and a nice bed and a good meal will do. Sci-Fi 8, TV 7. Pete, how about your rating? Okay, um, I, I've got to kind of rethink this a little bit here because um, I, I gave this a 7 when I watched this. But looking back on a few things... I kind of feel like I'm going to lower it to a six. And that's your TV rating? No, this is sci-fi. Sci-fi, okay. Um, so, I, I, there's plenty of sci-fi stuff going on, but I guess it's really not that great. I'm going to give it a six. I think Brainy has swayed me a little bit. I also gave it a six. Uh, you know, the, the again, the, I feel like the, Magical Humanalon blood deserves something <laughs> here. And, you know, it is still outer space and you still do have cybernetic or bionic or, or organic computers running around. <laughs> I, I don't know exactly where they fit. Like, they haven't ever told us if there's any metal components going on in there or anything. I don't think there is because they can x-ray them, right? They x That would have stuck oh, out yeah. on an x-ray. Yeah, okay. That's a good point. I hadn't considered that. You raise a good point. Anyway, I give it a six. 
For television, I had also given this a 7, but I feel like I also need to reduce that. I'm going to give this a 6. I give it a 5 for television. Moving on to our next episode, Black Market. Apollo passes through a trial by fire to become the new king of the underworld. Well, that's an interesting way of writing that up. <laughs> Isn't that what happened here? <laughs> I don't recall that. <laughs> that That's my interpretation of what happened in this episode. Clearly, he is in charge now. He killed the leader. No one else would challenge him for authority. He is now the leader of the underworld. I don't believe so. <laughs> and he said, uh, I'm going to keep an eye on him and make sure they don't get too far out of control. He, the only way he can do that is if he's one of them. In my mind, this episode is about legalizing forms of... I don't want to call it badness, but forms uh, of you know things that are societally not allowed. So, smoking tobacco is okay, but smoking marijuana, no. That that drug's illegal. I agree. We should not ha- love smoking tobacco. Having uh, sex with a woman um, after you buy her dinner and maybe some nice gift, totally okay, but prostitution isn't. I agree. We should make prostitution legal. <laughs> <laughs> I it's just it that's the that's the leap no, I, that I, you make from yeah. from these things, which is okay. We're just gonna allow it to happen, quote unquote, legalize it, and we'll keep an eye on everything that's going on, and that's totally okay. Which is, it's a theory that exists <laughs> within the fleet. It's probably much more likely to be controllable yeah you only got fifty thousand people you have to worry about yeah versus an entire city or nation or state where there is uh you know hundreds of thousands and you know millions of people you know there's no way that you can possibly police that type of organization that you know was putting that stuff out well, you know, the, I think the solution to all of this is was actually given to us by your your favorite person in history, Karl Marx. Oh, where we should just have everything owned by the state, and no one has any private property, and the the whole problem is solved. Right? There's no need for a black market now. Karl never said that. <laughs> That's a bastardization <laughs> of his pure principles. <laughs> I have no idea what Karl Marx actually said, <laughs> but I do know enough to know that a lot of people took advantage of him say, oh, well, uh, yeah, let's go with this, everybody, but uh, let's let's <laughs> apply it differently. All right. Uh, let's see here. Lee has a gun. They started off. Um, he's also in bed with a lady. Yeah. But Who actually, before this? we get into the episode proper, I just want to point out. There's a lot of inconsistency on the Netflix version in the quality of the subtitles. And there's also a lot of overdubbed dialogue in the previously on Battlestar Galactica scenes. For example, there are they have overdubbed in the previously on a different version of the dialogue than what we actually saw when we watched that episode. Yes. And this this episode 
was a, 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 a great, or I, I don't know if I want to say a great or a terrible, it's very illustrative of the issue that sometimes there's just no connection at all between what's being said and what the subtitles are saying. Okay. All right. Everybody keep that in mind. For example, they kept using the word silo instead of Cylon. Well. <laughs> I think their autocorrect got a little too eager. Oh, okay. All right. We're being attacked by silos. <laughs> Still just as terrifying. <laughs> Especially if silos have taken on human form. Well, I, I just think we just outrun them. <laughs> So, a black market is happening, and President Roslin wants to get it under control. Yeah. She wants to say, hey, this is illegal, stop it. We need to protect all of the people out there. Everybody should have a fair shake, a fair chance to get the supplies that they need. What's going on? Why is this happening? Which, I don't know, wasn't happening when it was just uh, Galactica, as soon as Pegasus showed up. Or maybe it was happening and just no one was paying attention to it. We have no evidence of that. Don't you dare besmirch the good name of Bill Adama. <laughs> he wouldn't allow something like this to happen. Well, he didn't know about it till now. Just like he didn't know about sabotage. Um, Let's see here. Oh, it turns out uh, Chiffon was a prostitute. Yeah. Okay. Worst names for a girl, you know, Morag. <laughs> That's a real yeah, woman's uh, okay. name. Yeah, sure. In Scotland, I heard it several times. <laughs> Morag is a terrible name. Uh, let's see here. Uh, none, none others come to mind, but Siobhan? Gotta be right up there as one of the worst names for a girl. <laughs> Don't I, name your girl Siobhan. I have no problem with the name Siobhan. There's a lot of candy and Bambi. Uh, we work with a woman named Cinnamon, which is a little unusual. Yes. Yep. That's true. Uh, I, I think there's probably worse things out there than Siobhan. I just... How can you think of a name like Siobhan and not think prostitute or stripper? <laughs> I, that's not something that leaps immediately to mind for me with the name Siobhan. Okay. Candy, sure. <laughs> yes. But that's not mainstream type of a name. I knew a candy growing up in high school. All right. Uh, everyone, make your own jokes about that. Uh, submit them <laughs> on the Facebook wall. Actually dated her for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> and I just be, I'm feeding, feeding the lines out, people. Uh, uh, let's just move on. Let's just move on. So, Commander Fisk is attacked in his quarters. Garroted. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love Coddle. He's like, you know, I haven't finished my preliminary autopsy yet, but I'm going to go ahead and say, I think he was garroted. <laughs> <laughs> is he not just he is, the best was, thing going? It was a great line that he was given. Doesn't matter what else is happening within the episode. You can gar I guarantee you the Doc Coddle is going to come away with something awesome. <laughs> Like, they just, A, have written the lines brilliantly for him, and B, his delivery is yeah. flawless. Yeah, agreed. I mean, you get this cranky guy who <laughs> smokes, 
all the time, like he's put his cigarette down in the tray of instruments that he's going <laughs> yeah. to be using to work on these people. <sighs> he uh, so awesome is Doc Coddle. Um, so he still smokes. Oh, um, <laughs> of course, when he's doing this, he he pulls out the uh, the cubit. Yeah, and uh, he hands it over to him. He's like, uh, "All right, we'll keep us a." Uh, apprised if you find anything else find anything else i may retire early (laughs) that for me was the funniest line (sighs) i I wish there was more of dot coddle (laughs) dot coddle md (laughs) (laughs) Uh, his own (laughs) spin-off Oh, Go around solving crimes. <laughs> uh, so Lee is put in charge of the investigation to find out what happened. Well, little red shirting going on here, right? What do you mean? Uh, well, we need an investigation. Let's put our crack investigative unit on it. The CAG. <laughs> you know, it's red shirting. There's, there's no one in the world who's good at anything except for the main characters. Okay, when I hear red shirting, I think of the Star Trek right. thing, which is the guy with the red shirt dies. Well, the other the other corollary being you had all the people that go down with the one guy in the red shirt. It's like all the command staff plus the red shirt, right? Hmm. So uh, Colonel Ty, we find out, is was was trading. He was. Just as Run guilty. The black market. Yeah, he was in the black market. He knew it was going on. Stealing there. stuff from his wife. <laughs> Feeding his habit. Golly, that guy just drinks all the time. And he looks so terrible <laughs> when he gets up there. Yeah. Um it, it was it was disturbing to see that. I, I actually I think what's happening there is he's had so much alcohol, he's imbibed so much alcohol that's like coming out of his pores, <laughs> and he's relicking it up. <laughs> it's a nice little recycling system. <laughs> um, he tries to use the you know the throw out the statement to to Lee like, oh, I I know about how you and that that woman you're seeing and all the you know the medicine you're you've been getting and whatnot. And Lee says something great. Which is doesn't make us right, just makes a whole lot of people wrong. Yeah, indicating that I, I'm not saying I'm holier than thou here. I'm not on some quest. This I we're all terrible people in this. We've all allowed this to happen. We have done something bad. Um. Okay. So D finally gets to the point with Lee. Yeah. Says, hey, what do you have to say? Is there anything here? And uh, he's like, well, what do you want me to say? Well, <laughs> there's your answer. Yes. Yep, I I got what I needed out of that. Thanks. And uh, and she moves on into the arms of Billy later on <laughs> by the end of the episode. You're not going to give us a Billy D joke there? <laughs> <laughs> I did in my notes at the end. I said, Billy D together again. <laughs> um. So, Lee goes over to Siobhan's Cloud Nine apartment, and he's attacked. Yeah, and 
that's when that guy shows up who we come to find out his name is Phelan. Um, I'm pretty sure that's the guy from Predator. Yeah, I think so. This is the guy who, you know, he's always got the razor out and he's, yep. you know, shaving himself. And at the end, when he finally goes crazy, he's like, I'm going to have me some fun. And he's chased, <laughs> trying to chase down the Predator and then he dies because everybody dies except for Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Asian lady. Yeah. Um, Let's see here. Rosalind wants Gaius to resign. Yeah, she offers him an out. Yes. Because she doesn't say it. But she doesn't want him in power. Right. One heartbeat away from becoming president of the colonies, which to a guy who she believes is a Cylon sympathizer. Um, And she tries to use the guise of, look, it was clear, you know, when, you know, this almost happened that you weren't really ready for this and didn't really want to be a part of this. I'm giving you a chance to get out. I don't think she did. Uh, clearly, she didn't do a good job of selling it. I think yeah. she could have done a better job. But Head Six comes in and says, yeah, she wants you gone. This is your chance for power here. Don't walk away from this. You need to stand up for yourself. And he does. It's like, I've never wanted anything more in my entire life now than to remain here right at the doorstep. Yeah. Uh, Rosalind had an interesting line in here. The one that I liked that it's actually, I've thought something, if not these exact words, very close several times in the series. If we start killing our own, all they have to do is sit back and watch. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, I, I, every time the humans resort to lethal violence amongst themselves, I think, oh, Cylons just won again. Good job, humanity. (laughs) (laughs) Because they can't get together. Yeah. It's still a jockeying for power. Was not surprised at all to find out that Zarek is hip deep in this. Yep. Somehow related to, you know, got his fingers going. Um, And then, you know, we officially meet this Phelan character who, you know, is the one who's been pulling all of these strings. Um, He is able to buy his way. So much power that he's able to buy his way onto Pegasus and show up in commander felix's quarters yeah i mean that's how much power this guy has um which you know that wouldn't that would put him up with the likes of president roslin and adama adama yeah i mean this is a serious concern i would think sure uh so he says the lie the fleet needs us yeah the, he, he implies that black markets are inevitable Yes, I would agree that markets are inevitable. Okay, but not black markets. Okay, I, I was going to ask about that. Good, good distinction there. Okay. Uh, let's see another quote. It's hard to find the moral high ground when we're all standing in the mud, which is again, it's another kind of a cop out, um, trying to say, hey, you know. We're all guilty. We're all terrible. We've all taken this a little bit here, a little bit there. The guy who trades, you know, for some some medicines is is no different from the guy who trades for the child. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I do not remember this. Oh, really? From the first time I watched this, I'm surprised this. you could have forgotten it. It pretty... is disturbing. Yeah. 
I mean, that's 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 as bad as six killing the baby in the cradle and in the first part of the miniseries. This is very very dark, and I want to say bravo to the writers for not being afraid to portray something that a is real. Human trafficking has been a part of human history. F- since the beginning and will continue to be so. At least if you have anything to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, and yeah, he tries to portray that there's no difference between this. This is, you know, I'm just serving a, a specific clientele here. Everybody's got a price in, in all of this stuff. Which, again... Clearly wrong. Very, very wrong. Um, let's move on from that. <laughs> oh, the, we get to the good part. Lee shoots him Yeah, at this point, yeah. which is that's the, the beginning of the episode. Oh, you're not like me. You know, you don't have this. Uh, why don't you put your gun down? And Lee shoots him. Yep. Dead. Now Lee's in charge. <laughs> um, right or wrong for Lee to shoot him? Right. The dis- the decision works out, but that just makes cowboy justice seem okay. Because then all you have to do is make the case that oh, they were a terrible person. They were they were trafficking humans. I did you guys a favor by just killing them. So I'm curious: is it my my if we if if Lee believes in law and order so much? Which is what his character has been espoused to do. Kind of feel like he should have brought him in for justice. Okay. Instead of meeting out Judge Dredd style justice. <laughs> which I'm not saying don't kill Phelan. A-okay with killing Phelan. Just let the justice system do it. Maybe. I don't know. I don't want to. I, I just have to ask, is it my long-established hatred for authority or my unabashed appreciation of vigilantism that makes you think that I'm going to come down on your side of this argument? <laughs> <laughs> but you can see the slippery slope that gets created from this. Yes, I can, sure. But I, I want to go back to actually something that you said, which is, that Lee has always stood for law and order, which I don't necessarily think is what we've been shown. What we've been shown is that Lee, I I would describe Lee, and (laughs) heaven forbid we actually enter into a discussion of interpretation of Dungeons & Dragons alignment. (laughs) (laughs) Many a friendship, right? But I would describe Lee as as the... uh, the ends justify the means guy. He has disobeyed the command hierarchy because I think we have enough evidence now through the course of this series to say the president is not the commander in chief of the the military in the Battlestar Galactica universe. Yeah, yeah, nothing that we've seen has suggested that right. you know that she. No one bears thinks it's that. unusual that she defers to the military. So. They have their own power structure and they work with the president, but not for the president. So he was com- perfectly comfortable stepping outside the the bounds of 
structure for what he believed to be the right thing when they were trying to arrest the president. So he, he is not law and order. He is the good, regardless of whether the law follows the good or not. Paladin justice? I wouldn't even say paladin. I, I, I mean, that's why I said I go to the chaotic good, the definition of the ends justify the means. The end is good. Mm-hmm. I, I've taken, I've shut down this incredibly powerful segment of the black market. The black market's still there. It's still running, but I've destroyed some section of the power structure, allowing it to open up a little bit more and maybe, you know, not be quite so evil. And I did that by taking a little bit of the blood on my own hands to kill this guy. It's a net win. It's, I think that is completely consistent with the character of Leodama. Yeah, that the way that you describe it there is not wrong at, at all. I would just disagree a little bit. I, I think he does stand for, I don't know, uh, the law and order side of things. I think he, he an does. argument an argument can clearly be made. Hey, this was not a, a situation. You know what? What's the other way? We're gonna you know have marines storm this <laughs> ship, and you know it turns into a bloodbath. One bullet solves, uh, you know, saves a lot of lives. Yeah. Um. Or you know, there's the, um. Oh, I was I had something else, but I can't think of it now. That doesn't matter. I the I, trial I, by champion. <laughs> No, that's what we've just seen here. Um, I I disregard that <laughs> assertion. I don't know how much clearer I need to make that to you. <laughs> um, I just feel I'm not trying to say there's inconsistency here. I'm just it's it's a little grayer than what I I think that. Uh, you're more you're more used to see, seeing Adamus Lee Adamus character as yeah. I, I, I actually as much as I joked about Apollo becoming the uh, the head of the, uh-huh. the underground now. Um, I, there was a double joke in there. I don't know if you caught it, which is that at the end of the episode we see Zarek, who's a former Apollo, mm-hmm. actually moving among the people there of the black market and being greeted greeted as though he's moving in to fill in this power vacuum. Yeah, that. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Oh, Siobhan rejects Lee. Yeah. And because, she yeah, she has been with him enough to know that she is just a, a fantasy, yeah. not, not a real person. He doesn't see her as a real person. In fact, he, he really isn't even so much as interested in her as he is in her daughter. Okay. Fine with her rejecting Lee, but if I'm her, I wait to reject Lee after he gets me off of this hellhole of a ship. I don't storm off into the bowels of this hellhole and think, oh, everything's going to be just fine. Oh, I'm sure I'll just be able to go get my daughter out of this cage that these people have put her into. No, no. No, no. Wait for the guy who just shot the the evil guy. Follow him for a while, and then say, "Yeah, change my mind. Not in love with you." Thanks this for is, the assistance. Yeah, <laughs> just that's what I would do in that situation. Um, 
And, uh, oh, okay, we already talked about this. At least we know the names, the faces, the location. We already hit on some of that stuff, I, I think. Oh, Billy D together again. Yep. And Apollo looking on jealously. Oh, poor Apollo. If only he'd been given a chance to get D for himself. Yep. <laughs> okay, that's all I have to say. Okay, do we have listener comments? Yes. Okay. Listener M, he says, I really want to like this episode. It has lots of elements I like in TV shows. Hookers, the mob, (laughs) stranglings with wire, (laughs) etc. Pretty disturbing guy, this listener M of ours, isn't he? I wonder what kind of shows he's watching. (laughs) I don't know, but I'm pretty sure my cable doesn't get them. But I can't get over that the president and Adama don't understand basic economics. We learn that the fleet has adequate supplies. But the president is baffled that a black market and corruption has sprung up due to controls that probably must be placed on supplies. President Roslin is obviously a socialist. (laughs) Thinking that after the apocalypse... And she is in charge. She can control the population and economy. She isn't going to get her socialist utopia she dreams of. The Apollo story is the compelling part of this episode. He is not. Uh, he is still not fully recovered from his recent spacewalk. He can still do his job, but you can tell his heart is not in it anymore. Sci-Fi Five TV Four. Have a great week. Keep up the awesomeness, listener M. P.S. I like the idea of recording, quote, evergreen shows to post when you miss a week. With 160 plus episodes, you could also do a clip show. (laughs) Although that would probably be a lot of work. But you do have an intern. Make him do something. <laughs> I actually made him start listening through our back catalog at one point to find, make make a clip show. I should get on him and see where that project is. No, don't do that. Aaron, <laughs> you don't have to do that. That's so much work. Because then we have to listen to some of it. Whatever he says, oh, hey, this is a good part. Re-listen to this and give our approval. I don't want to do that. <laughs> Well, you no. make me listen to this once just to edit the thing. That is more than enough for me. You don't have to follow through on what he does. <laughs> <laughs> we can make it meaningless. It's okay. <laughs> All right, uh, Mark, thanks very much. A good email, as, as always. Uh, let's go to Brainy. And uh, he says, the big, bad black, the big Bad Black Guy's Black Market. The war on drugs? The war on terror? How about the Cold War? The common factor is that these can literally never be won. Which brings us to Rosalind's great idea to launch a war on corruption. (laughs) Ron Moore's commentary reveals that he hates this episode and apologizes for it. Mark Verheiden, however, is a good writer whom has contributed to at least four of my favorite sci-fi shows. This just isn't one of his best. It also It's also one of his first. One plus is that we get a hot wench bit part. 
But rest in peace, Colonel Fisk. It's too bad, because you and the old man and Ty could have had fun chillin' while crackin' and munchin' on various nuts. <laughs> I got the feeling like that was our cue to his level of opulence. They're sitting there talking yeah, about yeah, yeah, yeah. you know uh, shortages, and he's uncaringly cracking nuts and just chomping away at them. Yep. I also love Gaius's scene where Rosalind asks him to resign. She is so bad at being intimidating. A good politician would either kill Gaius right away or find a way to use him for your own agenda. Rosalind sheepishly suggests that he roll over. And when he says regarding holding the office of VP that, quote, until this moment, I can't think of anything I want more, close quote. I say go Gaius. Wow. Let's let's expand this to include Gaius here for a second. Lee just outrightly kills Phelan. Dead. Because yep. he's evil. Clearly the bad guy. I mean, the only thing that he really provides is this black market. We have Gaius Kill him. who has the skills and ability. Roslyn seems to think that she has evidence to suggest that he's a Cylon lover. What would happen if you're Adama and she just kills him? Uh, if I'm Adama? Say, good for you, ma'am. Yeah, but he doesn't know any of that stuff. But he knows that there's something not right with Gaius Baltar. Yeah, but crazy doesn't necessarily preclude crazy and powerful. evil. Crazy and powerful is just as bad as evil. I don't know. Just as dangerous. I, I just think the correlation is so very close in all of this. Both very evil people. What We know enough about Gaius Baltar <laughs> to know... That he should not be allowed to continue living amongst yeah. the humans. Um, I just wonder what would happen if if Rosalind had pulled out a gun and said, "Bye bye, boom." You know what what happens because it's the same situation, but you know it's not widely known, so it's that's probably gonna it would throw things in a tailspin. Sure. All right, back to Brainy's email. I also like seeing Zarek for a minute there. This episode is a dumb story, but I like how Lee plays it and how he shoots Andre in the head. And then Roz meets with Lee and the old man. Time to carefully weigh out your options because you are the president, right? Nope. She doesn't get wants. Uh, she doesn't get wants and she won't compromise. She doesn't get what she wants and she won't compromise, so she says, Excuse me, dudes, I'm busy. Ugh. <laughs> Sci-Fi 1, TV 4, Music 6, Roslyn 0. <laughs> first, That's the first sighting of a Roslyn the rating. Roslyn rating. <laughs> <laughs> Joey's final five. Okay. Number one. How is the triangle of Lee, D... And Billy the Cylon going to shake out. Although he said BTC. But I was just tired of the E sound. <laughs> so how's that? How's the triangle going to shake out? 
Well, again, I think Dwell is the Cylon. Okay. And she will mate with, with whichever one of them she thinks gives her the best <laughs> chance at breeding a Humanilon. <laughs> okay. But which one? Uh, it's going to... I still feel like Billy's going to die. He just... He's too nice of a guy for the world that Moore has created. He just can't survive in this environment, I don't so think. So you think Billy's going to die? I think Billy's going to die. And Lee probably ends up with Dwala. Okay. Number two. Rate Rosalind's presidential performance so far. What do you think? If she were your president, would you follow her? Would you yeah. get, Would you get behind the... You know, the policies that she has initiated? For the most part, yeah. So, you thumbs up to Rosalind. Yes. Okay. Three. Who will command the beast now? The beast being Pegasus. Tyrrell. It's going to get promoted. Okay. Number I, I was going to say racetrack, but <laughs> that's, that's, that was just a joke. Number four. In facing off with Gaius, who will, will Rosalind start to try to measure up to the old man's sense of integrity? Or will she recoil further and become a typical politician? The latter. She's going to go more politician. Okay. Number five. Yeah. What? <laughs> I, I don't understand. Have I done something wrong? Thank you for participating in an exercise in Freudian psychoanalysis. <laughs> Did I pass? <laughs> I don't know. He just said number five, just stare at Joey in silence and wait for him to talk and then let him go for 30 seconds and see what he says and thank him for participating in an exercise in Freudian psychoanalysis. I almost didn't do this. I was like, we just cut all of the dead air anyway. Why would I sit uncomfortably? But I guess we're going to keep all of that dead air. Man, you really had me because you you gave me that look just as I had just scratched my head, <laughs> my dis my look of displeasure. Yes, I was like, I was like, <laughs> what? All I did was I had an itch, man. Come on, cut <laughs> me some slack here. How dare your skin have a have a a, a need for an itch? Uh, see you, dudes, next week. Stay totally rocking, Ambassador Brainy Smurf. <laughs> Brainy, well done. I hope that that was the reaction you were going for, uh, because Joey was well confused. <laughs> I'm like looking around. Is there something behind me? Did I knock something over? <laughs> Good for you for assuming you had done something wrong, Joey. I've trained you well. <laughs> All right. Give us uh, your science fiction rating. Uh, a three. I, I really don't feel like there is a whole lot of science fiction to this one. Um, I gave this for science fiction. I gave this a five middle of the road. There was still plenty of science fiction stuff going on as far as the world in which they live. 
Um, so I, I, I wasn't too okay. torn apart by it. I, I, it I wasn't, mean, it wasn't great. Yeah. Not great at all, but it's just like middle of the road. It's like a, you know, a I mean, Star it, Trek it's episode. Still, it's still in outer space, right? It's still spaceships and things like that. But there's nothing narrative wise that happens here that couldn't have been done in shot in downtown Salt Lake City. Yeah. Right? Or on Magnum PI. Yeah. Uh, okay, TV. A four. Uh, not even, I, I'd say this is this is actually... In fact, it was really interesting to me because you're always talking about how much you hate the Starbuck heavy episodes. Here we get two episodes in a row that barely have any hint of Starbuck in them. And in my opinion, they're two of the stinkers that we've seen so far. Hmm, I wouldn't call them stinkers. Um, C- comparatively. No, still wouldn't call them stinkers. Okay. I... I don't think this is great. I'm only going to give this a six. Wow, for television, um, because I actually enjoyed it for the most part. I I don't hate Lee. Lee is not someone who's grading on I my just personality. Think this was a good episode, and so the also the advent of um the the hooker. Yeah, she was attractive, so you know that was easy to watch. There was plenty of cliche in all of this. You know, oh, this is the the outlaw West, and here's this terrible town where all of these terrible things happen, yet it's... And the hooker with a heart of gold every, is going to send her hero every, out. <laughs> well, that's just it. I, I kept thinking in the middle of the show, oh, she's... Oh, she must be working with Phelan. Like, you know, so this is a setup. You know, she's called Lee in here so that... But, you know, that... Because I don't remember the episode that well. I mean, that that all fell flat anyway. It, it's not great, but I I'm, I don't hate it. Well, that brings us to the end of another podcast. We hope that you've been inspired to take a deeper look at your entertainment choices and discuss it with friends, family, or just a couple of complete strangers you only know from the internet. As always, we invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. You can tweet Pete at trekwest5, or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 801-508-4242. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And we thank you for listening. Good to see you again. Good morning.